to the Starting With One podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Our goal is to provide our audience with interesting, relevant information on Canadian healthcare, financial and estate planning issues, and running a business. With each episode, Robin and Al will be exploring topics that matter to you. Starting With One is built off of our experience that we enhance the lives of many starting with one. Every great story that we get to share all started with one phone call, one conversation, or one meeting. These are the stories that make us very proud to do what we do, and it all starts with one. So welcome back to our Starting With One podcast. I'm Al McDonald. I'm here with my co-host, Robin Bailey. Hello, hello. And we've got a special guest today in the studio, Scott Edgington. Scott, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great. Before we get started, uh, why don't you give us just a little bit of your background? I know you've been in the industry a long time. We've worked together uh, a little bit more and more. So give us a little bit of background for, their, for our listeners of where you came from and what sure. you do and what your sure. expertise is. Well, thanks for having me today. I really appreciate being here, Al. My background, if you want to go right back, I've been in the business for about 30 years, had a lot of head office time, and then perhaps about 10 years ago, I went out to, to work more closely with advisors. I started off my uh, career as an actuarial student and then went on to uh, product management development on the investment product side. Spent a great deal of time at Transamerica, actually. And while I was there, I also looked after the uh, financial planning firm Money Concepts. So I have some MFDA experience as well. And after that, we sold Money Concepts to Industrial Alliance. And I went into the wholesaling role there on the money side and the segregated fund side wholesaled at IA and then at RBC. And uh, I know this is turning into a long story, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> then uh, off to where I am now, which is at Qualified Financial Services, where I consult with advisors like yourself on uh, investments and financial planning for clients. And uh, I have to say, I quite enjoy it. I look after a small book of business myself as well, which kind of keeps me fresh because I'm with clients. And that's kind of where I've got to. It's the way I remember the day I started, and it's kind of infamous, is it was the day of the Chernobyl nuclear accident. That was the day I started working after university. A day in infamy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so thanks for that. So you've got a lot of expertise, and I know we've talked a lot lately about money products and how they can uh, help clients out. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today was segregated funds. And uh, it's it's a product that maybe has gotten a little bit of a bad name lately in the mm -hmm. industry, but certainly in the right situations can be a, a perfect fit for a client and really benefit them. So yeah. maybe we'll start a little bit for our listeners. Just most people I think have heard at least of mutual funds and, and probably have mm -hmm. a good understanding what a, of a mutual fund is. But why don't we just start there and maybe delve into a little bit about A, what a mutual fund is, and then we'll get into some differences about what's the difference between a seg fund and a mutual fund and why in some cases, uh, for particular clients, a seg fund might actually be more suitable for them. Yeah, sure. So starting with mutual funds, the way that I think about it is it's a way for um, the individual investor to participate or get diversification by joining really a pool. Technically, behind the curtain, mutual funds are trusts. So a company, a mutual fund manufacturer, let's call them, goes out and says, you know, we have a Canadian, we want to have a Canadian fund. And they will go out and select stocks and do research and build a Canadian equity fund. And then they offer it to people. And the participation in this trust is measured. Let's say there's a million dollars in total in the trust or the mutual fund. 
and they say we're going to issue a thousand units. So each unit is worth a thousand dollars, just for argument's sake. Then people can go and buy these units, and that way they get exposure to all the different companies. They might buy all the banks and all like the energy companies and some tech companies and pharma companies. So it's really it's a way for the individual investor to diversify their exposure to the market. If they only could take their $1,000, they could really perhaps only buy RBC. Right. But if they have $1,000 and they go into one of these mutual funds, then they have exposure to everything the mutual fund holds. And in theory, they also get the expertise of the manager so that they Certainly. don't have to yeah. understand all the ins and outs about investing and picking stocks and Precisely. when to sell and when to buy. Precisely. They've got someone that's an expert buying those funds and, and they don't yeah, have they to. They rely on their research yeah. and the and the timing and all the, the different benefits that come along with it, for sure. Perfect. Yep. So that gives a client the ability, like you say, to buy into and have some expertise on the investing side without them having to know everything. So that's a fairly popular product or option out yeah. in the marketplace for people to invest in. And, and there's billions of dollars invested in mutual oh, funds goodness. right now. Yeah, there's uh, I don't know if it might even be close to a trillion in Canada now. Yeah. There's a lot of money in mutual yep. so funds. So it's not a small industry. Not in the least. I heard one time that there was actually, if you looked at all the different flavors of every single mutual fund that's available in Canada, there's more mutual funds than there is stocks listed in the TSX. Wow. Yeah. Uh, because they can diversify. There's emerging market funds. There's large cap, small cap. Yeah. You know, energy, like you can go into every single sector. So it is built for the client to be able to have that expertise. Mm -hmm. So let's switch a little bit then and talk about SEG funds because SEG funds are very similar. Mm -hmm. They follow the same type of management or investment direction. They have that manager that's picking the investments the same way a mutual mm -hmm. fund is, but they are a different product. Mm -hmm. And again, like I said, maybe they've fallen out a little bit of fit. Maybe they've got some bad press, so to speak. So let's talk about what they are and how they differ from mutual funds. And then let's delve into some, some unique features that they have that can actually be beneficial for, for the right client. Sure. So from a 100,000 feet, it would be pretty hard to tell the difference between a segregated fund and a mutual fund. Uh, segregated funds use portfolio managers, can invest in all the same places that mutual funds do. Mutual funds are regulated by the provincial security regulators. Segregated funds are regulated by the provincial insurance regulators. But we have Canadian funds, U.S. funds, same managers often. Uh, sometimes segregated funds will actually purchase units of a mutual fund and kind of put it under right. the segregated yep. fund uh, wrapper. You have to have your life insurance license to sell one. And they're traded the same way. The same back office systems are used to manage segregated funds. The reporting is the same. Uh, from a tax standpoint, segregated funds are deemed to be a trust, even though they're not technically, but they're deemed to be a trust. So the taxation is almost identical to, right. to mutual funds. They've been around, I, probably the first one, if memory serves me right, was probably from Canada Life that was available to a retail investor. Right. Historically, the origin of them is that life insurance companies in Canada did do a lot of pension fund management. And then one day someone had the bright idea and said, we have all this investment expertise and we're only doing it for pension funds. Why don't we roll it out to individual investors? Right. And that would have been in the 60s, I think. Like they've been around a long time. Yeah. And they've grown and grown and grown in popularity. And then because they're manufactured by insurance carriers, there's definitely insurance Elements properties, yeah. whatever you want to call them, yeah. that are ingrained in them as well. Right. And there are those rules, many of the rules are there for the purposes so that they don't get confused with being a security, actually. 
I, if you want to dive into some of the features, I'm glad to do that. Yeah, let's talk about some of those. So in my practice, we certainly use segregated funds, again, for the right client. And typically speaking, that is a business owner. Mm-hmm. So one of the criticisms of segregated funds is that the fees are higher. And generally speaking, mm-hmm. they are a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's for some of the guarantees that seg funds have, which we can talk about. But where we tend to use them a lot in our practice is for business owners uh, because of the creditor protection. So sure. why don't we talk a little bit about creditor protection as it applies to seg funds and mutual funds too, because mutual funds do have some some limited credit protection on them, but mm-hmm. seg funds just take a step further. So why don't... Yeah, I'm just going to jump in here because Al and I obviously work with the same client. We're always dealing with business owners. And and I think it, it's still surprising in, you know, in going into 2020, we're having those conversations and you get to investments and automatically people are thinking about mutual funds, you bring up segregated funds, and there's still often there's a look of, well, what are they and why would I look at them? What are the features? So I think sure. this is a good topic to talk about. Yeah. Okay, well, let's circle back to the features. If we want to address the creditor protection, as it's called right away, I kind of have to sound like a compliance officer before <laughs> I begin talking about these and let everyone know that nothing is guaranteed in life and that every situation is different. Yeah. But there are certainly precedents out there where business owners, for example, that have invested into a segregated fund and somewhere in the future down the road, something goes sideways with their business and the business may owe money to things they have may have personally guaranteed some of the business loans. The money that is in the segregated fund, if everything goes accordingly and the judge agrees, will be protected from this person's creditors. Right. I know there's a lot of ifs and buts in there, but you have to be really careful with describing this to people. Yep. Often the rule of thumb I use is that if it's been in there for at least two years, invested in the segregated fund, or there's definitely a pattern of saving, if someone is packing, I know of a case where a person was packing and they'd only really started, you know, five, six months, 12 months. And the judge did say that, no, no, that's protected because this person demonstrated a pattern of saving. Right. They weren't contemplating bankruptcy or insolvency at the time they started this. Right. And therefore it's protected. And yep. I actually have a story very close to me, um, a really close friend of mine. He had a grocery business and he supplied a product to Loblaws and really Loblaws accounted for about 90% of his revenue. And one day Loblaws called up and said, we don't need your, whatever it was, cauliflower anymore. I'm not sure what he was selling them. And the business went bankrupt. And the, his creditors went after a contract he had, a segregated fund contract he had at one of the insurers. And the insurers actually let the creditor know that we're not going to release this money to you. Right. Funny part of the story is he had this very nice letter from Manuel that said we were contacted by you know, XYZ and yep. we said no to them. We're going to hang on to your assets. Uh, they're your assets. And he unfortunately lost that letter, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it did stand up yeah. Uh, yeah. there for him. So there, there are cases out there where it holds up. Yeah. And it, if you think about my earlier comment about the pensions, that's why in a way that segregated funds enjoy this beneficial property is because pensions have that property. Like right. you, the three of us were members of a pension plan and something happened to us where we were sued or for liability or something or other, they couldn't attack our pensions. Yeah. Yeah. And that just got carried over into seg funds because of the history and the insurance company being that issuer and so right. on of the product. Right. Okay. I can tell you I've had some similar stories as well with some clients who either they've contacted me or their creditors have yeah. contacted me and said, what about this contract? Uh, and as soon as they find out it's in seg funds, uh, literally they give up. Stop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, uh, again, 
nothing guaranteed. Certainly anyone can take you to court and try, but that's been my experience as well, that as soon yeah. as they find out that things are in a seg fund, the process pretty much. Yeah, if the, if the legal counsel or the judge has been, is familiar with the rules, it's yeah. probably what happens. Yeah. 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 So that is one of the unique properties of a SEG fund. And again, mutual funds, uh, they do have some credit protection when it's invested in an RSP, for example. In that case, if someone tried to attack their RSP, even though it was held in the mutual fund, it would still be credit protected. Again, all the same provisions that we talked yeah, about before. Yeah. But SEG funds, again, just take it a little bit further. It doesn't matter whether it's an RSP or a, a non-registered or anything like that. It's actually governed by provincial pension rules, so how the creditor protection operates. And it differs a lot from province to province. But one thing that segregated funds have is they have protection while the person is living in post-mortem protection. Right. Whereas other investments may not enjoy you know, to be blunt when yeah. you're living and when someone's passed away, yeah, right. they, there may not be protection when someone passes away post-mortem. Yeah. And segregated funds do have that. Just the same as life insurance, like that claim someone passes away and there's a life insurance benefit. The creditors can't go after that. Exactly. You're punishing the wrong people. Yeah. Yeah. So that's valuable. Can you talk a little bit, Scott, about some of the other features of SIG funds sure. that, that vary from mutual funds? Well, let's start with the guarantees. Every segregated fund has two guarantees, one at the time of maturity, which I'll talk about, and one at the time of death. The maturity guarantee, according to the rules, has to be at least 10 years from the day of the first deposit and can be no less than 75% of what went in. If a contract doesn't have that, it's not a seg fund. It actually becomes a security. Okay. It's kind of a weird way that that rule works, but that's sort of the background behind there. Most companies today, though, offer two types of guarantees at maturity, 75% and 100%. Generally, the 75% guarantees these days are out at age 100. Okay. One company has a 10-year time horizon for that. 100% guarantees at maturity, on the other hand, are typically 15 years from the day of the first deposit, let's call it. And so explain what that means for a client. What do these yeah, guarantees get them? So a very risk-averse client could put a lump sum in today, let's say, and 15 years from now, be guaranteed that that lump sum or the lump sum plus the growth is available to them. Okay. So in an example, they put in $100,000 and 15 years from now, it's worth eighty. An insurance company would toss in twenty thousand dollars and bring them back to the hundred thousand dollars they right. initially invested. So their their principal is essentially guaranteed Protect, yeah. as long as they get to that maturity date. Yes, they're sure that they they won't be behind in terms of yeah. the amount of money that they've got. Like sometimes it's recommended if the person if the client is really risk averse that uh, when they're let's see what would be the math when they're fifty six and they have registered money and they want to know how much their RIF is going to be mm -hmm. when they turn seventy one. It's a very slick way to, to set that up. Right. So you gave me 100. I, I can tell you today, if you don't do nothing else, don't take money out in particular, that yeah. when you turn 71, that $100,000 will be there yeah. or more if, yeah. the, if it, there's performance included and you'll start your RIF with a minimum of $100,000. Yeah. So that's what it's for. I think as an industry, there's not a lot of sales there, but it, I always say it's what the client wants. It's not what we think is great. It's yeah. We can't impose our risk tolerance on a client. They have their own risk tolerance. And Absolutely. sometimes it's useful to clients like that. And again, certainly when I've talked to clients, it's not a great thing. It's not a great selling point to, to say, hey, in 15 years, you'll have just the same amount mm -hmm. of money that you will have and no more. That's not a great selling point. But at the same time, no other products have the guarantee that you 
no. won't have half the amount of money. So as I say, it comes down to the client more than it does to the advisor. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a death benefit. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Um, no, that's perfect. So this is a, obviously self-explanatory when someone passes away. These range from 75 or 100 percent as well. So if when the annuitant of the contract passes away, their beneficiaries will get the greater of what the death benefit guarantee is or the market value at the time of death. Right. And that has no time horizon, obviously, right. because uh, that, so somebody invests a hundred thousand in the market on day one, day two, the market plunges by 50%. Mm-hmm. They look at their contract. They realize they've just lost $50,000 and they have a heart attack and kill over. The insurance company comes to the table. Most definitely. Yeah, yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. It's not a pleasant thing, but I've seen situations where the cases have been topped up and the beneficiaries really appreciate it. Right. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, uh, they'd be getting 80000 instead of $100,000. Yeah. So it's, it's a very good feature. And the older people get, the more they appreciate the benefit. People that maybe perhaps have seen their parents pass away and things like that, for themselves, they really start to appreciate that benefit. Right. right. Okay. Anything else? So we've talked about the credit protection. We've talked about the guarantees. Any other features that, that SIG funds have that are important for a client? A few things, and I, we all, I kind of refer to these as the beneficial properties. Like these aren't something that the companies or the carriers add to the product. This is just the way the pension laws and the securities laws are written. Mm-hmm. All segregated funds have beneficiaries, including non-registered accounts. And the nice thing about that is that when, it, in the event someone passes away, the proceeds from the segregated fund contract can flow to that beneficiary outside of the estate process. So notwithstanding avoiding the probate fees on that money. The main thing is that it flows very quickly to the beneficiary. So proof of death is provided to the carrier. They agree upon that. Five to 10 business days, the beneficiaries have the money. Whereas if it has to go through an estate, I'm sure you've seen it as well as I, it can take 18 months for an estate to settle. And I think what people don't realize is that there may be 90% of the estate and there may be nothing may be contested among the beneficiaries. But if they're arguing over the silverware, everything stops. Right. Whereas this would go right up to the beneficiaries like that. And it also doesn't have to be often included in the will itself. If they know where the policy is, it's, they can just look after that outside of the estate process. So you avoid probate. And in Ontario, it's about 1.5%. Mm-hmm. There's quick payment of benefits. And the other thing, too, in Ontario is that it remains confidential. Right. So... As soon as a will is probated, the proceeds of the estate go on the public record. And if we were nosy people, we could go down to the courthouse and find out. None of this will get into the public record. Right. And this applies not only to SEG funds, but to all the investment products that an insurance company manufactures, GICs, daily interest accounts, annuities, everything enjoys these properties. And that's important because, again, going back to mutual funds, someone had an RSP in a mutual fund, they can name a beneficiary and those same features would apply. apply. But like you said, if they had money in a non-registered GIC or a non-registered investment account or some of these other vehicles, you can't name a beneficiary when you have yeah. a mutual fund, but you can name a beneficiary when you have it in a SEG fund. So it really becomes an estate planning tool. Oh, most definitely. And what I'm seeing a lot is that older folks are maybe downsizing their homes or selling their homes altogether and they have this big pot of non-registered money. Mm-hmm. And they could be in their 70s or 80s. And we do have solutions for those people where they could get a segregated fund, set up the beneficiaries, you know, the way they have in their will probably. Yep. But they get the probate avoidance, quick right. payment and confidentiality out of it. And that's very common these days, yep. you know, in this neck of the woods. Yep. 
And my other point was that because there's beneficiaries and their insurance products, you can have irrevocable beneficiaries. Yeah, we've talked about that a little bit lately. That's yeah. come, that's come up a, a couple of times in our conversation. So explain what that means. What is an irrevocable well, an irrevocable beneficiary? beneficiary of an insurance contract is a person. Perhaps it could be a charity as well, but let's just stick with people. Um, it could be a person, and that person effectively has the same rights as the owner of the contract. So if there's going to be a withdrawal a change of beneficiaries, some material change to the contract, an irrevocable beneficiary has to approve of it. Right. And if they don't, the person, the owner, cannot make the changes to the contract. Right. And so a situation where this is very convenient is parents wanting to gift money to their children, mm -hmm. but they don't want the children to go buy a Ferrari. Right. So the child will be the owner and the annuitant in the contract but the parent will be the irrevocable beneficiary. So if I want to run off and buy a Ferrari, my dad has to say, okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's a great way to set up an informal trust. Yeah. There's no fees, there's no nothing, yeah. but the parent will still have control over the money. And in the event they pass away, you could, you know, that perhaps this child's spouse or something would be the contingent beneficiary. And right. The contract we're yep. going to stay in force. And at some point, then, if the kid grows up, so to speak, and matures sure. and says, ah, oh, you know what, now I'm not worried about them going out and blowing all that money, you could easily. The irrevocable beneficiary yeah. could be irrevocable. An irrevocable beneficiary could approve. It's kind of weird, but they would approve of themselves yes. becoming a revocable beneficiary. Right. right. Yep. So it, it allows them to keep some control, significant yeah. control over the contract. Yeah. Oh, yeah, all control. Like yeah. it, it's very powerful, that designation. Yeah. And it doesn't get used enough. I think people go like help a lot of advisors out and they're going through all these trust processes. And I'll, I'll just suggest to them, have you ever thought about using a seg fund and just make yourself irrevocable? Right. You have complete control. You're not paying a trustee every year. Yeah. Uh, the child, age of majority child, would be responsible for the taxes and everything that the account generates. You just... Yep. can control the purse strings. Yeah. So again, it's a, it's another unique feature. It may not be right for everyone, no, but no. for the right client, that's how a seg fund becomes valuable um, versus some of the other products that are out there. Most definitely. Yeah. It's good to know these features because there'll be situations where it just can be very handy. Yeah. And the person still has exposure to the same right. investments that yep. they would if they were in the mutual fund world. Yeah. Perfect. Any other features that you think clients can really benefit from that differentiate safe funds from mutual funds? There's a subtle little feature that's available in some contracts where people have the uh, ability to lock in the growth with respect to the benefits. A reset. A reset, it's called. Right. Yes. Yep. And if you think about it from a business standpoint, the reason they're there is it stops people from exiting and re-entering just to right. re-establish their guarantee. Right. And that would not be a good thing non-registered, of course, because it would be a taxation tax. problem. And yeah. so people often, it's once a year, can contact the insurance company and say, you know, I put my $100,000 in, it's now 110, please reset it. And now in the event of a maturity date or a death, mm -hmm. that 110 will then become the floor. Right. I have to say, I've helped many clients do it and they're very appreciative of it. Sure. Yeah. They, they really do like it. And it's, it's a, there's no extra charge to do the transaction. There's a little bit extra charge in the MER for the feature. Right. But it's very useful at times. Yep. Very, so you're really useful. taking some of the risk off the table, mm -hmm. putting it on, on the plate of the insurance company yeah. and you, you benefit. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. And if you think about it as just avoiding re-entering, that's all really it. Right. It's just a convenience feature. But yep. It does help sort of ramp up the guarantees sure. and, you Makes know, sense. I think we're an 11 year 
bull market effectively now. Yeah. So with There's annual probably resets, lots of people out there that have could have had a nice staircase gains. of resets. Right. Yeah. Right. Perfect. I think we've covered off a, a lot yeah. of information yeah. here. There's a lot of material there. I just don't remind people the guarantees. Yeah. The beneficial properties, particularly the for non-registered contracts, avoiding probate in the estate process. The irrevocable beneficiary idea is quite useful. Yeah. And uh, that the choice of investment like types like Canadian equity, U.S. equity, balanced growth, there it's all available, right. just like it would be in the mutual fund world. Perfect. Scott, thanks for coming in today. Really appreciate it. Okay. And we hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. We look forward to you listening to our next one. And any final thoughts on this, Robin? No, it's it's funny. I was sitting here thinking, and I, and I didn't get to participate a lot because if it's not employed benefits, usually my eyes glaze <laughs> over. But this is one I was actually uh, very interested in, especially as a business owner myself. I mean, these are the, all things that apply to me as well as my clients. So it was very interesting to hear, and I actually stayed awake for this one, Scott. So kudos to you. You're the first person that's been able to do that for me beside Al. But uh, yeah, again, thanks for coming in. Really appreciate it. That does it for another episode, uh, folks, on Starting With One Podcast. If you have any questions, especially on estate planning, get in touch with Al. I get to work with Al on a regular basis, and I've yet to meet someone who uh, considered meeting with him a waste of time. They always come out with a better understanding of, of where they are and, and where they're going, and that's really helpful. So we'll see you next time on the podcast, and remember, it all starts with one. Thank you.